Good evening. Welcome to the Pipeline. I am Western Standard columnist and show host Corey Morgan. This is our weekly news and affairs show, a panel show where we get a few of us turning your ear and dissecting what's been happening and leading the news at the Western Standard through the course of this week. I'm going to start, though, before I get to who's joining me today. We've been rotating the crowd a lot over the holiday season. Uh, and talk about our sponsor, though, and uh, that, that's how we pay the bills. That's how we keep these shows going, and they are a fantastic sponsor. It's the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Guys, if you're firearms owners, collectors, whatever you may want to do with them, you've got to be a member of this association. It's important. There's all sorts of resources, access to gun shows, uh, shooting sports, things like that, but as well, they lobby on your behalf because you have a government that's trying to take away your right and ability to have those firearms, and if you don't stand up for yourself, they're going to win, and there's safety in numbers. you got to join an association to protect your rights together. So check it out, cssa-cila.org. It's the Canadian Shooting Sports Association, and uh, take out a membership, guys. It's well worth it. All right, I'm joined today. I'll start on the end. It's been a while since we've seen him here on the end seat there. Our news editor, Dave Naylor. How's it going, Dave? Good. Thrilled to be back with this weather. I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be minus 36 in the morning. going to feel like minus 36. Derek's off today, so I'm thinking of declaring the rest of the week work from home week. I, that, I, I would second that. <laughs> what a great idea. Just be happy that we have indoor jobs anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah that's uh, true. Yeah. That is true. <laughs> is that. Okay, well, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I'm sure he's probably not watching the show anyway. So. Uh, and, of course, uh, as we're always joined by opinion editor Nigel Hannaford. Hi, Nigel. How you doing? Tanned, rested, and ready. Oh, good. Yeah, everybody's kind of had a break. I'm escaping for mine pretty soon here. But Coward? Yes. <laughs> well, I don't know. The drive he's got ahead of him, you know, maybe maybe we should have a little more sympathy maybe. for him. I don't know. We'll see. See, uh, you know, normally when I drive, if I'm in a hurry, I, I'm looking at the kilometers ticking down to my destination. But what I'll be looking at this time is the thermometer ticking up as I get southward. <laughs> so it, it'll motivate me to carry on uh, uh, despite the howls of my oh, send a, Send us a postcard. Yeah, we'll do. All right, well, let's get on to some of the more pressing things, I guess. Uh, this is kind of a deep subject, a big one. It's been hitting the news a lot. This video has gone out. It's with a rebel media reporter, David Menzies, tried questioning uh, Deputy Prime Minister uh, Christia Freeland when she was walking into an event, and he had a, quite an altercation with one of her security members who was an RCMP member, and he was uh, pretty roughed up and uh, charged with assaulting a police officer. We'll play that video because there's so many people arguing about the context on social media and what happened. Well, we'll let you watch the full video for yourselves so you can determine what we're talking about. And uh, then we'll talk a little more about this. So. Ms. Freeland, how come the IRDC is not a terrorist group? Why is your government supporting Islamo-Nazism? What? You what you you're under arrest for assault. Why are you pushing me? You're under arrest for assault. Police. You're under arrest for assault. Police. You're under arrest for assault. You pushed into me. You pushed into me. I was just scrubbing. I got my credentials here, and you just bumped into me. So excuse me. Police. You're under arrest for assault. What is your name in your bag? What is your name in your bag? You've been told you're under arrest. Why am I under arrest? He blocked my way. I was just swimming, Christian Freeland. I'm a police officer. You're under arrest. What is your name in your badge? I'm assaulting a police officer. How is that possible? Okay. You assaulted me three years ago when Blackface was 
You mean I was asking questions aggressively? No, no, your actions were. You were almost pushing everybody over. Lincoln, you got this on video, right? He's saying I'm pushing people over. That, that, that's an absolute falsehood. There were there were feet were shuffling. So now it appeared that way. That's what you're saying, officer. Well, it appeared that was I pushing saw. people. Well, I wasn't. I, I didn't touch a single person. That was a little bit aggressive for what was happening. Get that. You get it. Got, you're under arrest. Please okay. take the microphone out of my face. Well, oh, I, I'd like a, okay. I'd like so an ongoing team. record of this. Can I have the microphone? Can I have the microphone? Can I have the microphone? Can you give? Welcome to Blackfaces Canada. This is what they do to journalists. I was merely scrumming Minister Freeland and a RCMP officer blocked me and evidently this is now a trumped up charge of assault folks. I didn't come here to cause any trouble. I came here to do my job and now I'm handcuffed. This this is your Canada now folks. You know, this is the Gestapo taking blackface's orders. Outrageous. And meanwhile, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps is not a terrorist organization, is not a terrorist organization. And these liberals have the audacity to show up at a vigil for, uh, for a plane in which almost 200 people were killed, 57 Canadians, one unborn child, by the way. And look at this. They don't want, it is against the law in Blackfaces Canada to ask insensitive questions impolite questions. So a, gov a Canadian government that props up an Islamo-fascist regime, that's okay. But if you ask questions about that, uh, that's not okay. This is an absolute outrage. I didn't come here to cause trouble, folks. I just came here to ask questions. He's going to have to back up a little bit, okay? They're conducting an That's my cameraman, so he's not doing anything. No, I just want to provide some space so that everybody's safe here, okay? All right. So, I mean, that was pretty striking anyways. I, I, I mean, you know, we could get into a bit of a, and I'd like to get into a little more about the discussion of who's a journalist, who's not, because it's really opened a whole bunch of discussions on this whole thing. But uh, I'll start with Dave. I mean, I, I think anybody can agree that was probably not, it was an overreach by the, the security officer and the police. I mean, it really didn't seem to be justified for anything we could see in that video. Oh, no doubt about it. And uh, look, Corey, I'm not a big fan of uh, David Menzies and, and his antics. Uh, you know, he's been arrested more times than I've had hot dinners. But the, uh, this RCMP officer completely out of line, uh, completely provoked him and, uh, uh, you know, and caused the entire incident, roughed him up, took four cops to, to arrest him. Uh, you know, at least Menzies had the good sense to keep talking uh, during his arrest and uh, and got some good video. And uh, I'm sure his boss, Ezra, probably gave him a little bit of a bonus and videos being viewed uh, ten, more than 10 million times now. And uh, sure, the, the rebel's doing some, uh, some top uh, fundraising off it. Uh, but yeah, clearly in the wrong. And uh, you could just tell Christia Freeland smirking away as... Uh, as she avoids a, a legitimate question about an Iranian group on the, the anniversary of uh, the day when uh, the Iranians shot down an airliner with a whole bunch of Canadians on it. Yeah, well, and as a, a veteran of many arrests, uh, Mr. Menzies uh, composed himself fairly quickly. But, you know, at first, one of the things, I mean, I've watched that video multiple times because I've seen the arguments and 
the first part of it, you can see he was scared and who wouldn't be? I mean, this is a big officer has you by the lapels and is slamming you against uh, a, a wall. Like he was, it and was, he was playing clothes, right? So yeah, we, if the, instantly uh, Menzies wouldn't have known it was no, a cop. And this is an act, I mean, of intimidation. If you were another reporter, a small person, or somebody, considering, you know, scrumming or going after public figures, it, this is, would have a pretty chilling effect, I think, Nigel, you know, and seeing that you might reconsider uh, doing your job. Well, Hope I wouldn't, but darn it all, I <laughs> yes. believe I would. You know, that, that's, you're absolutely right. Um, I, part of, the, I think, the look on uh, Mr. Menzies's face was occasioned by the fact that he just plain didn't see it coming. Uh, he was concentrating on the minister, and then from the cover of the lamppost out steps this tank, bumps into him. This is what I see when I look at the video. Bumps into him when he's looking the other way. Well, he was surprised, apart from anything else. So, uh, and, and rightly so. You know, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of people, and you made reference to this a moment ago, who have no sympathy with Menzies because they don't like the rebel and they don't like what the rebel does or stands for. Okay, we've said it. Now, does anybody deserve to get bumped like that by the RCMP while they're in the act of trying to speak to a politician? I say, no, that is a, uh, we operate as journalists. We have no special journalist rights. We operate under the same right that every other Canadian citizen has of free speech, free expression, and the right to address a politician. Now, there is a time and a place for everything, and uh, you can expect that if you make your move at the wrong time, you probably will be rebuffed, but not necessarily out of spite, merely out of the fact that, well, we can't really talk right now, but it was noticeable. I mean, we all know that they don't like the rebel. <laughs> they don't like us, but where they really don't like the rebel. Um, can't even get recognized as a, as a newspaper. They don't get admitted to Liberal Party events. It goes on and on and on. So there's clearly, the RCMP knew who Menzies was. Here comes the minister. Menzies is going to make his move. Whether it was a misplaced act of gallantry or some more sinister explanation that I, that I hesitate to even speak about on the air, what happened, happened, and uh, it shouldn't happen because like, if you had been walking by or as a person who is not involved with the media at any time, see Minister Freeland and just, I who that is. Minister Freeland, when are you going to recognize, when are you going to condemn the IRGC? You shouldn't expect to get slammed against the wall by the RCMP, but you've as much right to ask that question as the journalist has. We're operating under the same code. Absolutely. And I mean, again, that's why it was so important to play this video, because I've seen a lot of apologists or people mm. making excuses. I mean, had Mr. Menzies been aggressively approaching, if he'd been sprinting towards her as if she was going, he was going to make contact, or if he hadn't even been with a camera person, I mean, it would be clear to anybody seeing this is a, a person doing a report. If this was a, a, a run-of-the-mill civilian making a run at a minister, I expect the RCMP to get in and make a block and say, excuse me, but even then, you know, you, you block them off. You don't grab them 
and slam and 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 again that that, that absurd charge which was dropped not you know some hours later of assaulting a police officer i mean really he obviously the rcmp officer obviously made it up on the spot mm -hmm. okay how can i get this guy out of the way oh he bumped into me that's assault you know it's and as you say they took four hours before somebody came to their senses and said you know we better let this guy go well, um, the process is the punishment by that point yeah so, i mean you, you've shaken a person up you've scared them you've locked them up and it's going to cost them a lot of money oh, yeah. uh, because, you know, Ezra is going to unleash the lawyers and he's going to win. He's got the case sure and does. he's got the, the, the video evidence. So it's just a matter of how much uh, he'll settle for. That's the other journalism school takeaway here is if you're going to uh, talk, talk to a liberal cabinet minister, you better have a camera running while you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, I, if one of my reporters saw Christian Freeland walking down the street, first of all, they would think, my, she's not in a limo. Isn't she always in a limo? And then I would expect them to go and, and engage and talk to them and try and get a story out of them. Uh, and as you say, you know, what if it was a constituent, you know, on uh, Freel uh, Freeland's uh, uh, writing and has got a problem and, you know, barking dog or something like that and wants to complain? Do they get tackled by RCMP? No, Scary. And I mean, we got police as well where it's a tough job. And, it, you know, they get questioned on a lot of arrests. They get questioned in a, a lot of circumstances. When we do see on video a clear example of an officer making up a charge against somebody that adds to mistrust of police in general when people sure. see that you know quite often when you hear some criminals say i was falsely accused this and that and people roll their eyes well you start to see more of this and you start well and you can't make this up in canada you got one day where a cop's delivering coffee to hamas uh, protesters and the next day they're busting they're busting reporters yeah. like what is going on with police in this country and there was many officers there too. I mean, if it was one officer going rogue and getting out of control, I'm going to guess perhaps this gentleman was the senior officer on the scene. I don't know. But none of the officers, others raised their hand and said, maybe this well, is settled now. We can stop. I mean, I think there's a pecking order in the in, in police services generally, like the state troopers give way to the FBI. And in Canada, somebody comes along from the prime minister's personal detail and seems to take control of the situation. That's where this fellow was from. Uh, so uh, the, the the provincial police are going to say, "Oh, I guess they they've got it there, haven't they?" So we're yeah. not going to interfere. And it looked like City of Toronto officers. Yeah. Or no, it was in Peterborough. Uh, so whoever it was, okay, yeah, yeah, they are not going to call out their senior no, colleague and say, "Hey, look, I think we got a problem here." Especially when they know it's being filmed. Right. Yeah. And they're going to keep their mouths closed and maybe behind closed doors. Right. Even if they're right, they're yeah, not oh, going to say a thing. They're not going to win that one. Nope. And, so, I mean, and that goes further into, into some of the discussion I saw online. And, of course, it's not always the most nuanced or bright discussion. But it's something a lot of people throw out when they're the tribalistic nature. Or I like these media outlets. I don't like those. But when people keep throwing in, it annoys that crap out of you. Journalist in quotes. Or reporter in quotes. Or saying they're not real ones. I mean, just to clarify, for one, there is no actual certification for who is or isn't a journalist in Canada. It's, it's, it's a def definition of a that role. continue. Well, and it, I certainly and, don't want the government saying, well, you're a journalist and you can do this and you're not a journalist and so go away. Exactly. I, mean, I don't want to see that. That I mean, would you be can, uh, shocking. 
but it's a discussion worth having. People better realize, you know, yes. it's not up to you. It's not up to the government. It's not anybody to define who is or isn't a journalist. You can say it's a bad journalist, an incredible journalist, uh, uh, a tasteless journalist, fine. But they're still technically, if they're reporting on something, a journalist. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I had a conversation with Mr. Menzies yesterday, and he tells me that he spent three years at uh, Ryerson University when it was called Ryerson. Um, came out of there with a journalism degree, even if there was a professional designation of journalist, I would hope that three years at Ryerson would satisfy the critics, plus 25 years since working in the industry. I mean, like you said, good journalist, bad journalist, journalist anyway. Yeah. You, know? yeah, you may not like their style or how right. they go about being a journalist, but you can't argue who's a journalist and who's not. Oh, well, and people try, and it's just frustrating. I mean, if we get into regulation, I, I, this was kind of unexpected, but it was something that came up earlier, and we, you've written on it, uh, Nigel, with uh, the CRTC is hinting at coming up with codes of conduct. I mean, that's quite a regulatory step uh, towards actually saying who's a journalist or who isn't, and what you're even allowed to do as a journalist or not. That's kind of distressing. I mean... I, You know, honestly, Corey, and David, I, I, we're not a long-lived breed, but I expect, nevertheless, to live to see the day that uh, we have that kind of licensing for journalists. I am told anecdotally that they already have it in Great Britain. I, I find that hard to believe and I haven't checked it out. But the person who told me had been at a, a, a press conference where, all right, boys, let's see your licenses. And we go, well, here we go again, sort of thing, you know. And he came to the Canadian and he said, well, we don't actually have a license to be a, oh, don't you? Oh, okay, well, fair enough, you can carry on. Really? <laughs> Is that how far things have fallen? I relate it as an unattributed anecdote that I have not checked the truth on yet. I only heard it very recently. But certainly there are many places in the world where you don't just get up and start writing. You have to have permission. And Canada at the moment is not one of those places. And may that continue. I just don't have a very happy expectation that it will no, anything the CRTC does, they mess it up. Yeah, you know they couldn't organize a booze up in a brewery, but uh, it, it is it is scary to think of. You know, the code's going to say, "Or oh, you must stay 10, 10 feet back from any politician." And you know, it's uh, I'm not sure we'll get far. Geez, David, I, I don't know. I mean, the only thing I can think of that would be worse than an inefficient CRTC was an efficient, efficient one. CRTC. Yes, one. yes, good point. You know, maybe. Maybe we should just hope for at least a little incompetence in the administration of this, should it ever come about. Well, uh, their middle name is incompetence, so well, I'm sure it'll be there. Well, it'll be the one thing they get right, you mark my words. <laughs> well, and I just always like to remind folks in situations like this, when you're talking about empowering a government further, and even if you like the current government, just yeah. remember it's not always going to be a government you like. And if you've empowered them to step on those sorts of rights, when a government comes in that you don't like, the journalists that you enjoyed before suddenly might find themselves being shut out from uh, communications or the ability to report. And uh, everybody, again, has done a disservice all over again. Well, Nigel, you worked in the PMO with Harper for, for yes. 10 years. Now, that was a guy journalists hated. Mm -hmm. Journalists did not like Harper. But he wasn't blacklisting anybody or sending his RCMP thugs to, uh, to, to arrest anybody, was he? No, he did not. And I, I actually... Uh... I, I was thinking about this very thing and wondering whether something had changed in the years since I uh, was voted out of office, so to speak, 
and I was a, for, for the benefit of those who don't know the Hannaford story, I was a staffer. I wasn't an elected person, but I was looking after the prime minister's speeches for about six years. And uh, in all of that six years, I, I had the opportunity to hang out, I guess you would say, with a lot of these RCMP officers because they were the only people on a trip who were close to my age. And, you know, it's either that or join the young staffers Staffers. while they sit there on their phones, you know, and sort of trying to hit on each other. That's what they would do. Anyway, so I I ended up um, gracious enough to make room at the table for me. And a pretty good bunch of guys. And the men that I and a couple of women who were on the PMPD, who I knew between 2009 and 2015, I would not expect this kind of thing from any of them. There was not one that I thought, well, you know, good job he's on our side, but he is a bit of a thug, you know. No, none, there was none of that. This is this took me completely by surprise. So they're getting their marching orders from somewhere, aren't they? That's a conspiracy theory, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps. So just that attitude, though, I think it's within their rights to do that. And you got to wonder where that's come. Uh, again, it might be a rogue one, but we've seen a lot of I mean, prime ministers chafe at media often. Uh, Mr. Polyev, uh, if he becomes the prime minister, I suspect it's going to be a prickly relationship. But I haven't seen indications that he wants them muscled out. He'll just munch an apple and ignore them, which uh, drives people wild. And some people might say it's an inappropriate thing, too. That's fine, but it's better than... Well, he can do it once. Sending the thugs yeah. after them. Oh, anyway. well, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> Mind you, I mean, we have another... I, uh, people probably forget about this, but it must be about 25, 26 years ago, but... One day, Mr. Chrétien was irritated by somebody who was being abusive. Ah, yes, the Schwenigen handshake. (laughs) That was, uh, I guess that guy probably didn't do that again. No, probably not. You know, that was one of the few times I sort of applauded Prime Minister Chrétien, though. I mean, it was an inappropriate case. This was a person coming out of nowhere, uh, approaching a prime minister. He'd gotten past security and within arm's reach of... uh, uh, Prime Minister Kretschian, younger people might not know or remember. If you Google the image, you'll see. Uh, yeah, he grabbed hold of him by the neck and he muscled him aside. It was great. His popularity went up right after well, that. Well, he did. You know, that's one case where the <laughs> Prime Minister's personal detail was there for for the protection of the crowd. Yes. You from the Shawinigan uh, back streets. Uh, uh, you know, he was, uh, yeah, don't, yeah, don't forget the Inuit sculpture to the head. Uh, remember when the guy broke in? Uh, Oh, his oh, wife yeah. Eileen and uh, uh, yeah, his yeah. wife clubbed the guy with the uh, Inuit sculpture. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, it's I don't know. You say you didn't used to care much for Mr. Kretchen, and I guess I would say the same. But I'm sure missing him now. I, I absolutely. I mean, he was still even if you didn't like him, he was respectable. Yeah, you've got to have a liberal prime minister. That's yeah, the, he was he was smart, and he had a, a degree of dignity. I, his treatment of the West again, as is typical of liberals, drove me bananas. But I wasn't. Uh, Cringing in fear whenever he'd go overseas representing the country versus today when uh, I, I just wish Trudeau would extend his vacations year-round, to be honest, because he just can't seem to get through one without a problem. But, uh, you should check it out with Mr. Biden. Apparently, Mr. Biden knows some good spots and spends a lot of time there. <laughs> oh, they could, uh, That's plot, a different show altogether. World Revolution together. <laughs> yeah, there's some of those tropical islands. That, uh, uh, God. All right, well, let's move on. <laughs> Only crossing the line. It's usually that's my job in here. Well, approaching the line, whatever line that might be. Let's talk about a policymaker who seems to have won an award, uh, a liberal policymaker, one of Trudeau's uh, top ministers. Uh, Dave, uh, Gil Bo has been honored. This is a a well-deserved award, Corey. Uh, 
from the uh, McDonald Laurier Institute, a think tank. They have named Gilbo Policymaker of the Year uh, for basically doing uh, everything that he can uh, to destroy the economy, from uh, straws to plastics registries to electricity regulations to clean fuel environments. He has done more to screw up the Canadian economy than anybody else. And the uh, McDonald Laurier Institute gave him this award, and I'm sure he proudly accepted it. He's got quite a, a generous amount of contenders for economic uh, dingbats over the yeah, years. Yeah, they, they said nobody came close to him mm -hmm. to, to in this current batch field. of uh, liberal cabinet ministers. Yeah, they, they put it beautifully, uh, Dave. They said, this is intended as criticism, but I expect Gilbo would be pleased with the acknowledgement. Yes. Badge of honor. I'm sure he would. Yeah, so it's, uh, Maybe he'll accept it wearing his uh, orange jumpsuit from his well, uh, jail days. I, I, the thing with, uh, you, there's actually an excellent uh, analysis. This isn't just like a, a an organization putting up its New Year's credits or anything like yeah, that. It's not like the Taxpayers uh, Federation uh, and their no. teddies, even the McDonald Laurier well, Institute actually does a lot of nuanced uh, policy discussion. And I think the CTF would say that it did too, but, yes. uh, you know. I, I'm I, not I, knocking them. <laughs> I love them as well. Yeah. But look, uh, there, there's a, a three-page article in there. Uh, January report, and they actually lay out four things that they put to Mr. Gilbo's account, which any one of us who live here, work here, try to make a living here, uh, say, yeah, that's exactly what's what's going wrong. So the you know the, the the first one, of course, is the carbon pricing scheme. The second one is the clean fuel regulations, and clean fuel regulations does not mean clean in the sense that you normally. Use use the word clean, it means uh, fuel which has not burned other fuel to produce. So if you're pumping heat into a SAG-D setup in Fort McMurray, well, that's burning fuel. Well, the less fuel you burn, the cleaner the fuel that you ultimately produce. And I mean, it's economically efficient to a degree, but when it is when the requirement takes you past the point of an economic return, then it's serious and damaging. So, so carbon pricing, clean, clean fuel regs, and um, the, and it's interesting that you know just as they and they make this point in this document that even as they are asking producers to produce cleaner fuel, they are by other regulations destroying the market for that fuel by announcing that in by twenty thirty five you won't be able to buy a gasoline power car to put your clean fuel into uh, so they're, they're like they're hitting both sides uh, and you know they, you go through the whole thing here and it is so obvious that the minister has been given a blank check go do it do whatever you can we're going to save the earth no but we're certainly going to screw the west and that's a good thing because there's just that kind of disaffection for anything to do with Alberta, anything to do with Western Canada, which we have, we don't have to assume it. We don't have to conjecture that it must be so because of the actions, which is one way of looking at it. We can just go back over the Prime Minister's past comments, both when he was in office and when he was just another backbench MP. You know, these things like 
problem with Canada is too many Albertans running it. You know, that was during the Harper years, obviously. But, uh, I mean, there's a long list of these uh, comments that he's made. He clearly doesn't like this part of the country and the values that it has. So, I mean, is it sloth on the part of the prime minister just saying, you know, here, I'm going to give it to this crazed ideologue. And that's what he is. I mean, it, it, as you mentioned, the picture of him with his manic eyes and that grin in an orange jumpsuit while he's being led away in chains. Like, this is a, a guy who climbed on the roof of Premier Ralph Klein's house to, to, to protest in the past. He crossed all sorts of lines. Now he's one of the most powerful people in the country. Does Trudeau agree with this ideological agenda of Gilbo, or does he just not care? He's not paying attention, just saying, go for well, it. I, I think he's sitting on the beach in Jamaica and uh, basically saying to Gilbo, go for it, because I think this is what he wants his legacy to be. Yes. Uh, you know, when people look back in 30 years, he's going to say, well, I, I started the, the Green Revolution in Canada and we ended up saving the world. You know, despite the fact Polyev, when he gets in, is going to change everything back to uh, back to normal. Hopefully, well, but, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think it, I think it's his uh, I think it's his uh, his legacy plan. Well, it, it is his legacy plan, and he's been very faithful to it over a long period of time. Back when Gerald Butts was actually in the prime minister's office, and in the years leading up to uh, when he had to leave, the uh, there was a, a there was a public occasion. I think it might have been in Edinburgh. Uh, it was in Ontario somewhere, a small town meeting, and he said, well, we've got to phase out the oil sands. You know, now sometimes when people make these kinds of statements, you think, well, that's ridiculous. Nobody's going to phase out the oil sands. It's making too much money. It's carrying the country. It's this, 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 and this. You just And you just write him off as, as, as a flake. And then he was challenged on it. And he came back a little later and said, well, I kind of maybe overstated my case, something like that. But actually, you're right. This is a long-standing goal, and it's taken them 10 years, and they are getting there. And if we don't have a change of, change of policy, which I think is going to require a change of government, they may end up achieving their ends. Mm -hmm. Well, that's it. I mean, as, as the headline, you know, the standard said, right? ruthless, reckless, and damaging. Like, he is a, just a wrecking ball coming in there. I mean, the courts have tried to rein him in. There's been a couple of pretty landmark ruling saying you guys have overstepped the constitution. Your plans, your regulations are going too far. You're going outside of your jurisdiction. In both cases, they're just kind of like, well, yeah, he doesn't seem to care. Yeah. care. You know, we'll, we'll take another look at the rules and maybe rewrite it. Rephrase. You know, and uh, it's going to be interesting 2024, what the relationship uh, is with uh, Gilbo and, uh, and Premier Smith of Alberta. She's called for him to be fired and removed, uh, which obviously is not going to happen because mm -hmm. Trudeau would have done that a long time ago if he thought he was uh, not the right guy. So, you know, when you've when you've called for somebody to be fired, it's not a good way to uh, to go into a negotiation session, is it? So, I, I there's one other thing that's in this article that I think is worth repeating because one doesn't like to sort of conclude on a on a note of despair. And the author, uh, I, I don't know her personally, but I have had some dealings with Heather Exner Pedo. And she just says, it is often said that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And she makes the point that Gilbo is very far ahead from industry and the provinces. He's out there on his own. Uh, and in fact, he's a most Canadians are trailing in the dust somewhere. And certainly the provinces are, as you were just saying is alienating voters. This is what she writes. He is alienating voters 
who are concerned more about affordability and housing. They've got an election within 21 months. I don't know what they're going to do to get around this, but at the moment, he is a serious drag on the election chances of the Liberals in 2025. And the thing he's doing right now is probably... <laughs> what he's probably doing right now is getting his resume ready for a job at the UN. Oh, yeah. Right? Because if you're an environmental wacko, there's your place to go for employment. Yeah, with a, seeking a reference from Mr. Schwab, no doubt. Yes, no doubt. Yeah. Well, and, and part of the problem, and that's what they're listening to, is the damage he's doing, and that will hang over. Even if Trudeau suddenly said, you know what, I've had enough of this guy, I've got to refocus if I've got any hope of being reelected. The the chill he's put on investment, that's as you said, it's a long game. Who in their right mind would invest in a generating a gas-generating facility in Alberta when they're talking about capping you off on that in a few years? Who's going to invest in an auto dealership or, you know, any number of things when, when you know that these guys have already, I mean, the, the damage is done. I mean, we can undo some of it, but it's going to hang over. Well, you know, Laurie, uh, Corey, they, they, uh, the damage, who would you even want to invest in manufacturing electric vehicles if you can't be sure that people are going to, A, want to buy them, and B, if there's nothing else left to buy and they have to, that they'll be able to plug them in and charge them up. Because right now, that is not... By any means, a certain thing. No, it, it, our grid, it, uh, there's a lot of big question marks out there. Yeah. I said he's well out past any rational yeah. people with his policies, and, and we've got this this mess. Yeah. I just came back from Vancouver, and I'll let you know every second car seems to be a Tesla. Yeah, right. That's, they're all over the place. Yeah, well, when's the last time I went to minus 30 in Vancouver? It, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll see. Uh, Interesting to keep watching that that crazed man. I mean, I, I got sent running out. I don't know if you remember to take pictures of him when he came uh, to uh, across the hall to meet with uh, Premier Kenny, actually. And uh, he got out with his, his entourage from a, a minivan from the airport parked and idling over off to the side to keep mm -hmm. warm while he was having his meetings for him. I was frozen because they kept running me in circles trying to find him, Derek phoning me and texting me and so on. But he's a uh, character. Quite indifferent, he seemed to me, anyway. So at least I didn't get arrested or uh, beaten up for my troubles. Well, you obviously weren't trying hard enough, were yeah, you? I guess not. <laughs> I needed a rebel mic. They didn't know what this Western <laughs> Standard thing was. All right. Well, armed and freezing. We've got, you know, the weather's changing, and it's going to make, I mean, a problem that's been building for a while now is going to hit critical level really fast. What's going on, Dave? Yeah, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be minus 36, like it feels like in the morning. Um, they've had some major problems in Edmonton with homeless uh, homeless camps. Uh, and they d they shut one down and they gave the media uh, sort of a behind-the-scenes look and they called them in. And on a table, there were all sorts of weapons laid out from, from firearms to machetes to brass knuckles. And they showed a really what was called a horrific film of what, what happens in these tents. And... You could see one guy trying to light a propane tank to get some heat coming off it, and he blows off his hand. He eventually dies uh, from his injuries, and other people die in fires because they're, they're too uh, intoxicated to, to, to save themselves. And it's, it's, it's a real mess. Uh, and uh, this week, the government announced in Alberta the, opening up another 150 emergency uh, shelter spaces in Edmonton. So... You know what, if people want to go, there's room for them. Uh, but a lot of these, the, the homeless, don't want to go. They don't like the shelters. It's dangerous for them. They can't do their drugs 
uh, in the shelters. Uh, a lot of them are also mentally ill. Um, so yeah, it's it's a tough job for all the social workers and the police officers, and it's it's not just Edmonton, it's Calgary. It's basically every major city in Canada now has homeless encampment, homeless camps uh, set up in them. So major problem. And this is the first cold wave of the winter, and uh, let's hope everybody makes it through. Well, too, these cities are in a rock and a hard place. I mean, if they don't enforce, if they don't take down these tents, we know how the activists will react when the fires happen, not if, and when the people are, uh, you know, overdose or, or intoxicated to the point where they freeze to death and not realize it, the city and authorities will get the blame for not having gone in there. But right now, of course, they're getting the blame and being called heartless for going in and tearing it down. Like, is there ever going to be an acceptable answer to this? Actually, as Dave was speaking, I was just thinking, if you had all the money and all the power in the world, what would a solution be that, that could work. And I, I could not think of one that would, does not require the active participation of the person that you're trying to help. It's a challenge. And that is the challenge. Uh, I remember an article that you wrote, Corey, probably three or four months ago, in which you uh, mentioned the dilemma posed by encountering a person passed out on, I think it was on a park bench, laying there in, in stark misery. And is it the right thing to walk on by or should you intervene? And there are people saying, I'll just leave them alone. And yet that seems the cruelest outcome to just leave somebody in misery. And yet, if you take care of them today, you will find them there again tomorrow. So what exactly is, it, it is an incredible dilemma, because I think in this city, and I bet it's the same in Edmonton, I mean, this, this is not a Calgary-Edmonton thing, there is enormous reservoir of goodwill of people who want to help other people. The homeless center down there at the end of Fourth Avenue was built on the basis of private donations Mostly, I have to say, from the oil patch. Um, I remember, you know, back in the Calgary Herald editorial board, these guys coming in and talking about how they were, this is what we need to do, and it's going to be like this, and it's going to be like that, and we're really going to make a difference, and there's a thousand homeless people, and there will be a thousand less by the time we've finished. Well, good. How, how do you not support that? We did. We supported it wholeheartedly, but, you know, it hasn't worked out that way. Well, to, to me, you have to you have to spend real money in the mental health area, and I think it's been criminally underfunded forever in Canada, and uh, that's what these people need the most: is some mental mental health, get their mental well being. That and addictions treatment, and the two are tied closely together. I, I, I mean, a, a person who's addicted often has underlying mental health issues, and it, it takes the same sort of treatment to try and get them functional or, or safe again. But that's the elephant in the room. A lot of people just still refuse to discuss when it comes to the homelessness encampments. They start, with, well, what about the single mom with three kids or the person who got displaced because his job got laid off? That's not who's in those camps. Quit pretending it is. They're at the shelters. They're availing the services that are there and they should. The ones in the camps typically, most of them, are addicted. They're often dangerous. It's something else, you know, people don't like talking about, but there's truth in this. We're seeing with the weapons in Calgary, it was firearms, not just pellet guns and machetes and samurai swords. And uh, they're often very addicted. You can't put 
how can you put with a single mom and three kids the guy who's gone psychotic on methamphetamines in the same room? You can't do that. It's not an appropriate place for them. We need to talk about warehousing them somewhere. I, I nobody wants to say it, but I, I don't see any other. Yeah, it's, you, you look at a case in Calgary uh, before Christmas. Uh, three homeless guys. It was in an out, outskirts neighborhood. I think it was Country Hall. So they obviously took the LRT to get there. They broke into one of the the um, cabins, not cabins, uh, it was, garden. It was a garden shed. Yeah, a garden yeah, shed yeah, yeah, uh, was, yeah. at the Home Depot. And they, they went in there to get out of the cold and uh, set a fire. And all three of them ended up burning to death. So it's, you know, it's not just an encampment down here. This the far reaches of this every city that's going to have to deal with it. You know, if you think about where, when this started, you start to see a suggestion of the only answer. And this started when our attitude to keeping people in mental institutions changed. The deinstitutionalization. The deinstitutionalization. Oh, everybody was going to go out. And, and look, I mean, there, well there, it was well-intentioned. Everybody was going to go out into a halfway house become part of the community, they'd be supervised, they would take their meds, and, you know, this, this sort of grim Victorian institution would be no longer necessary. Well, unfortunately, it didn't work out just as the optimists hoped. It has been, in fact, worse than the pessimists predicted. Yes, and... Uh... Again, people aren't ready to face that reality. When I'm talking about warehousing, actually, I'm kind of talking about just the immediate thing. Like, we got people who are going to freeze to death. We, we need to do something. It's going to hit minus 40. They're intense. They're impaired. We can't stick them in conventional centers. What the heck do we do with them? I mean, I'm just saying an emergency shelter, a true one, a heated spot with concrete floors that we can just get them into to yeah. mitigate the immediate damage. Longer term, yeah, we need specialized treatment facilities for mental health long term. Uh, I've written on that at length. You know, it's always been a thing with the deinstitutionalization. I mean, it was quite a trend. Uh, those were first, the mental institutions were all built in the Victorian times. It was supposed to be merciful for people who were in horrible conditions. Unfortunately, they turned into warehouses to dump people and forget about them. Thorazine yeah. gave them a way to say, oh, look at that. We can medicate these people and they're perfectly fine. Yes, as long as they take it. It seemed like this Edmonton camp was basically organized crime. Yes. They had a, a chop shop set up in a tent. Uh, for, for bicycles, for bicycles. Yeah. they would bring in a, a stolen bike. They would put a, you know, some new idea on it, get it out again, sell it, and and get their drugs that way. So, and with all the weapons and and uh, that's in there, the the, the the hardcore hardcore homeless, uh, what I'm talking about, they rely on crime to to pay for their well, drugs. And the, the denialism from people, and I won't mention which radio show. I drive a lot and I listen to talk radio, and there was a host at Edmonton who spoke of that very bicycle chop shop. And a caller had said, he's chopping up stolen bicycles, and the host got very upset, cut off the caller and said, that's unfair. We don't know if those bicycles were stolen. He could be repurposing abandoned bicycles. What sort of BS, naivety, uh, sidetracking. I mean, you see my veins starting to pulse. I was screaming at my car radio at the time. How are we going to solve the problem if you're not going to face the realities? Right. You know, and if you're going to try and divert people away from it. Well, one reality, uh, Dave, do you have any, uh, like that was an astonishing array of, of weapons. I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised to see a few. Uh, that seems fairly normal. But when you look at the pictures, yeah, well, it's, it's, what were they preparing uh, for? It's incredible. Armageddon. And the same thing happened in Calgary, too. As, as Corey said earlier, they recovered a whole mess of weapons. Uh, you know, I'm sure some of it is just for self-protection because there's a lot of 
It's a rough world they're in, right? And they're they're often the victim of crime themselves, uh, perpetrated by other homeless people. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the, it's 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 not a it's not a tent city. It's an armed encampment, mm-hmm. is what it is. Well, and getting back to, I mean, I went last summer and I took those pictures last fall when they, the police dismantled that one off of Deerfoot. If people don't know Calgary, there was a big bushed area. Multiple times they've cleaned out sort of long-term entrenched encampments in there. And the waste I saw, I mean, we published a bunch of pictures of it. Hundreds, hundreds of propane tanks, truckload after truckload after truckload of garbage. And uh, they burned about half an acre because of a fire that got out of control. And of course, there were old syringes and pipes and all sorts of things everywhere, drug paraphernalia. This isn't harmless. That's what people, you know, you can't turn your back and let these people settle in in a spot like that. They, they got all of those materials because they'd been spreading out and robbing the industrial area nearby. Businesses trying to function, coming in the morning and their gates have been cut and metals have been stolen. Like, just, we don't like the reality. Oh, I'll, it, bet you a week's pay, I'll bet you a week's pay they're back. Probably. Probably it's an isolated spot to watch. Yeah, I mean it's and it, it's you know it's a tough tough crowd to police too, right? I mean, uh, when you think of regular organized crime, you think of you know some people in suits and hell's angels, which you can uh, investigate and perhaps infiltrate and wiretap and and do all that sort of good police work. But you can't do that with these guys, can you? No, no. And it's a valid question when people ask. When you say dismantle that camp, dismantle that camp, and people say, well, where are you going to put them? It's a fair question. We need. Because, I mean, as, the, as they, when press interviews the denizens of these camps, usually they say, well, I'm going to go set up my tent down the road a half a mile. And then they'll kick me out of there and I'll set it up over there. Like, we need to, f- and I don't have an easy answer. I, nobody does. That's the hard part with this issue. Exactly. But they do have to go somewhere because they're going to die. And uh, I guess, you know, I like to, when I talk about this subject, I talk about it a lot. And, and people will kiss me, you're heartless and you're cold. No, I'm never for a second forgetting that those people in those camps are somebody's children, they're their they're cousins, they're their brothers, their mothers. I mean, you, you don't know. But it frustrates me too with those saying it's inhumane not to, you know, we can't intervene for the sake of their dignity. That's another one that gets to me. If it was my daughter down there servicing men to get a fix, she has no dignity left and I'm fine if the state tries to intervene to save her. If, if it's my son who's sleeping behind a dumpster who's lost bowel control, there's no dignity left. And then the UCP, uh, Daniel Smith, promised to, to do this sort of involuntary treatment. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen any any movement on that yet. yet. It's a tough one to try and yeah. do, but it's, it's the, oh, the route we have to go. They're not going to help themselves. I, I, I would think under the Mental Health Act, I mean, it does say if a person's at risk of hurting themselves or others, the state has the right and the ability to intervene to protect them. Well, I would think that applies to people that heavily into addiction when they're sleeping in these cold conditions. But nobody's got the courage to make that move yet. And, you know, how many people would they have to round up and accommodate and oh, put it's into... It's a huge to, endeavor. It's, yeah, it, there may be a reason why they just, well, you know, we'll, we'll take the ones who want to be helped. Yeah. No, we'll start with them. It would take some planning. You certainly you can't know. do something like that overnight. Yeah, there's several thousand in Calgary, yeah. and I'm assuming it's the same number in, uh, in Edmonton. Well, there's nothing we can do for the weather, but hope for the best and hope they've arranged as well as they can. I mean, we know there are emergency heating shelters in Calgary and in Edmonton, and they're shuttling people from transit stations to get them to them if they're willing and they can. So I guess we just uh, 
hope and pray we don't hear too many reports of you could offer to take a couple on holiday with you get them warm down there I'll keep that in mind we'll, we'll maybe next year I, I don't know if I've, I've left room in the back of the truck for that yet but uh, well I guess we'll hope for the best and eventually find somebody with the courage and I really do have a lot of uh, hope for Premier Smith actually she seems not to be afraid of taking on the tough tasks well at least uh, at least she is looking in the right direction when you go look to British Columbia and all they're trying to do is making it easier for people to, to, and at now at a younger age, at least she wants to fight it. Uh, you mm. gotta admire B that. BC is now giving fentanyl to, to kids, kids, to kids yeah. without uh, their parents' consent. I I was, was that's where BC is going. I saw that headline, it was just floored me. Yeah, I'd look that one up. I think it was Adam Zevo, is it? Yeah, yeah we're, we're going to be, uh, yeah. be doing a follow-on. Oh, okay, so watch the Western Standard. We have that story will be up there, and we'll be following up. Well, we're out of time for this week, guys, and I'm going to be sneaking off and escaping for a while, true enough, somewhere warmer. So uh, have fun. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, we will see you when I get back, and I'm sure there'll be lots more to rant and rave on and discuss. Have a great trip. Have a great yes. trip. And Come back full of fire. Oh. Yeah, you're too calm. Yeah. A little more piss and vinegar yeah. when I get back. This is new late back Corey Morgan for 2024. <laughs> Have your uh, rest and go for it. Great. Should make it clear your show is still going to be on next week with it a special guest host. Guest host. And I, I hope I don't get outplayed too much by the backup quarterback. I might find myself out of a job. We'll see. But tune in. I'm sure it'll be great. And uh, thank you all for tuning in today, guys. And we'll uh, see you all when I get back. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines uh, helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. To become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.